0: my privilege to introduce you to this morning my father-in-law, the Reverend Jerry Stone in 1983 my family began attending the United Congregational Church in Norwich, Connecticut and Jerry was the pastor of that church at that time um, there were two reasons my family decided to stay at United Congregational Church, the first reason was I saw the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my entire life on the front row of the Sunday school, his daughter uh, and Jerry, at the time, was doing children's service, and my brother and I, we loved that, and so Jerry would call us down front I was 12 or so at the time, and we would have children's services right in the middle of the main service, and so we began attending United Congregational Church. Jerry was my pastor, all through middle school and high school. In 1987, he commissioned me as a teenager uh, to go on a missions trip for two months, and so my first clear calling and anointing as a pastor, as a missionary, was at the hands of this man, He's only threatened me with a shotgun once, and that was in 1988 when I began dating his daughter. It wasn't a serious threat because he didn't own one, but he made his point. And I, of course, have treated his daughter with respect ever since. Uh, and I have remained unscathed to this day. Uh, and so it is my pleasure to uh, ask Jerry to come and preach to us this morning. Obviously, he has been loved by me and my family since before we were family, and now, of course, we are. So, Jared, you're and preach us this morning. appreciate it. Thank you, Josh.
1: Uh,
0: I appreciate that.
1: Uh, first thing you have to do is, is straighten out this lecture, uh, because in my day, we didn't preach sideways. Just did Very proud to have a son-in-law like Josh. Um, not once have I thought of shooting him. He hasn't said whether he's thought that about me, uh, but I'm not going to press him. You already have. Go ahead.
0: I was born to be tall. Okay. Interesting.
1: Uh, known Charlie for a long time. Uh, I'll leave that. <coughs> Excuse me. My guess is that somewhere in this room. There is somebody who is ashamed of themselves. There's something in your past that won't go away. You've done something, said something that has left wreckage behind you. And you've been wondering, how can I clean this up? Today I want to talk about there is one thing the church offers that nobody else offers, and that's grace. This is the only place you can get it. So I want to offer you a little today. I wanted to uh, do so by telling some stories. going to steal every woman. Well, maybe not one, but all but one. You've heard this before. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land and there he wasted all his money in the wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pots he was feeding pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, Ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening, and must celebrate with a feast. But the son of mine was dead. And now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. And so the party began. That's my favorite story. I identify with the lost son, I also identify with the father. In those days, if a son the half the estate while the father was still alive it was a tremendous insult it's like saying to your father I wish you were dead so it was not a kind thing to do and totally lacking any gratitude at all the son ran out to a big city spent it all having a great time And then discovered that he was in big trouble. He decided to go home to his father. And and here's the best part. While he was still a long way off. His father saw him coming. And filled with compassion. He ran to his son. And I have visions of this father. Going out. Every day. Walking to the end of the driveway and looking at Waiting for his son to come over the hill. And he does this every day. You can tell this this really touches me. Because his father loved his son. More than anything. When he finally saw him, he ran. Ran the meeting. And in those days, fathers with any sense of dignity at all didn't run. They sent somebody to run for them. He ran to meet his son and hugged him. and welcomed him. And he said, don't worry about any of that stuff that's happened. We've got a plan. We're going to have a party. That's grace. The son certainly didn't earn it. He can't earn it. It's a gift. The son had it. So he was restored to his family. Meanwhile, his older brother is out there working in the field. And he hears all the noise of the party and here's what's going on, and he comes in and says, what's going on? Why are you people having a party? Why wasn't I invited? Well, in fact, you were, but you didn't get the invitation. And the son is... Well, there are a number of ways to look at this. One is to and he was. Because he's the one who stayed home, did all the right stuff, worked hard, keep the farm going and all this kind of thing. But this son, who had run away, spent everything, made a fool of himself, was the one having parted and complaining about it. And his father said, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother who was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. What we have here is the tension between son felt he deserved a party too, that he wasn't getting it. Where's the justice in that? He's the one who's doing everything right. The slob of her brother who's been out wasting everything, including himself, gets a party. What's up with that? Uh, another story that uh, brings some of this to light, and that is Jeffrey Dahmer. How many of you remember Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah, he's the guy who buried seventeen kids in his lawn. Did a few other things with them first, which we won't go into. It was a mass murderer, Cannibalized them and stored body parts in his refrigerator. And uh, he got caught, was tried, convicted, sent to jail. And in November of 1994, Jeffrey Dahmer was mu- was murdered in jail. Some inmates got together with a broomstick and beat him to death. There was a television show that had taped a program a few weeks before Dahmer's death, and the interviewer had asked him how he could possibly do the stuff that he had done. At the time, he didn't believe in God, he said. And so he felt accountable to nobody. He started with petty crimes and experimented with small acts of cruelty, and then just kept going further and further. Nothing was turning him. And then he told of his recent religious conversion. He'd been baptized in the prison of Whirlpool and was spending all his time reading religious material handed in by a local minister. And the camera switched to an interview with the prison chaplain who affirmed that Dahmer had indeed repented and was now his most faithful worshiper. was a small group that regularly met and they were discussing this. And there were those who had only seen the news programs about Dahmer and had missed the interview with Dahmer. And the former group saw Dahmer as some kind of a monster. That any reports of a jailhouse conversion were dismissed. Couldn't be possible. And of course, that showed the relatives' anguished faces. And one person said very candidly, crimes that bad can never be forgiven. He couldn't be sincere. But those who had seen the interview with Donna. One so sure. They agreed his crimes were heinous beyond belief, and yet he had seemed contrite, even humble. The conversation turned to the question, is anyone ever beyond forgiveness? Nobody left that group meeting that night, feeling entirely comfortable with. we're still faced with that kind of question. Is there anything too big and too bad for God to forgive? Part of the conundrum, if you will, um, if you want to agree to a moral Sorry, when you feel wronged, we can all think of a hundred reasons against forgiveness. He needs a little lesson. I don't want to encourage irresponsible behavior. I'll let her stew for a while and do her good. She needs to learn that actions have consequences. I was the wrong party. It's not up to me to make the first move how can I forgive if he's not even sorry? Anybody heard that before? Forgive. feels like capitulation. Giving up, giving in. Just turning to mushy sentiment. I know a number of people who love the motto, I don't get mad, I get even. You've all heard. And when somebody says it, they're bragging. They're going to level the scales of justice. It's all going to be There's this character, Jesus, who thought differently, had completely different ideas about grace. There's a similar story about. A young girl growing up on a cherry orchard in Trafford City, Michigan. Her parents, the old-fashioned farmer type, uh, overreacted a little bit to her nose ring. The music she listened to and the length of her skirts and they grounded her a few times and she was getting angry. One day she got into an argument with and said, I hate you. She screamed at me. And that night she acted on a plan that she'd been plotting for a long time. I don't know if you know where Travis City is, but the biggest city nearby is Detroit. And anybody been to Detroit? After Coleman Young was mayor for a few years, the center of the city died. It was a donut with suburbs around it that were doing well, but the city itself was empty biggest department stores left. Businesses left. When I drove through there some years later, I was shocked at what I saw. And some of the big blocks of downtown were leveled Even the police didn't go out of the way. She decided Detroit would be the place to go because her parents would never look for it there. She was there only for a couple of days, and she met a man who drove the biggest car she'd ever seen. He offered her a ride, buys her lunch, arranges a place for her to stay, gives her some pills to make her feel better. was right all along, she decides. Her parents were keeping her from all the money. And so, the good life continues for a month, two months, a year. She calls the man with the big car boss. And he teaches her a few things that men like. And since she's underage, men pay a premium for her. She lives in the penthouse. and occasionally she thinks about the folks back home, but their lives now seem really boring. She's a brief scare when she sees her picture printed on the side of a milk carton. Have you seen this child? But she doesn't think much about it. Besides, with her makeup, and her clothes, and her hair, now, nobody recognized her anyway. And after a year, the first signs of the illness appear. She develops a sallow look, and it amazed her how quickly the boss turned mean. These days, we can't mess around, he says. Before she knows it, she's out on the street, still turns a couple of tricks a night, but that doesn't pay much. Not enough to support a drag head. And so she winds up sleeping outside, and Detroit, in the winter, outside is not a place to be. So, like many People who are homeless, she would sleep on the grates with the steam tunnel. And suddenly she feels no longer like a woman of the world. She's scared. She can't find enough newspapers to stuff into her coat. And she starts thinking about all those wonders, God, why did I leave? Even my dog back home he's better than I do now. And so she decides she's going to do something about it. She made three straight phone calls to home trying to get hold of somebody. And all she got was the answering thing. Dad, mom, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way. And I'm going to be there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I, I guess I'll just stay on the bus and go to Canada. And so it was that he rode the bus not knowing whether to have any of the messages. And even if they did not know what they might do. the bus station. And look around, And this crowd of about 40 people. All her parents, sisters, brothers, cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents, everybody. Everybody had gathered to meet her. And there was a big sign. Started to explain, just like the prodigal son had to talk to child. Don't worry about it. We have a part of the That's great. What about ungrace? Unfortunately, the church is very good at ungrace. Did you know that? Probably the simplest example uh, and uh, as a pastor, I've seen this more than once. Everybody stakes out a place to sit. And every Sunday, they're in that place. until so somebody comes in who doesn't know that it's Yes, he's not coming back. And of course, if you put uh, the Catholic and the Protestant together to talk about religion, watch out. Somebody's got to be wrong. Mark Twain uh, had a little anecdote about this. He used to say he put a dog and a cat in a cage together as an experiment to see if they could get along. And they did. So he put in a bird, a pig, and a goat. And after a few adjustments, they got along too. Then he put in a Baptist, a Presbyterian, and a a Catholic. And soon there was not a living thing. one that actually moved me to tears. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jean Vanier. Probably not. He's a French-Canadian. He died only a few weeks ago. He was 97. He grew up in a privileged family. His father at one point was the Prime Minister of Canada. He joined the Navy, rose to a significant rank, when he left the Navy, he got his PhD and began to teach. But he had a compassion for those who were disabled. And he opened a house for the severely disabled. You know, the ones who can't move right. The ones who can't speak right. Or at all. The ones who can't opened his house and filled it with people like that. Because he felt that they needed somebody to care about them. As people. And he got a few people to help him. And he began to open houses like this. And the movement is called La Art. these houses now are scattered around the world. Vanier tells the story of one particular man. I don't remember his name, but he didn't speak. All he did was scream. And Vanier kept him in the room with try to assure him that somebody was there and that somebody cared. I must tell you, when I read about that, I was moved to tears. I couldn't understand love like that. I couldn't understand pouring out And do what's necessary. which is how most of it gets done these days. The vineyard decided, "No, this is about relationship. This is about love. This is about grace." And so he with the house. The most moving things I've ever read. I get that I'm wondering how. That's the end of the story. Grace is undeserved, unearned. It can't be. Heard. Has received more than ample from Jesus Christ. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I don't know about you, but I haven't become sinless yet. Has anybody here made that? Gotten sinless? Okay, I'm in good company. We're all the Christ has died for all of us. Proclaimed his love for us before we ever did anything to deserve it. And let me close with this one single thing. There is nothing you can do to make God. I thank you for your grace. We didn't earn it and we can't pay for it. Your son Jesus paid for it. And we thank you that all we have to do is accept it. Maybe it's a cry for help in the night. Maybe it's some favor that somebody does unexpected gift. Your love is poured out on us. Whether we deserve it or not. Lord, make us bearers of grace. Give us